I just can't get on my own that I have to get in the body of Christ. And today we're going to wrap up with a thought called uh, the first of our strength. The first of our strength. And in this Power of the First series, I want to connect the first of our strength to this thought. That Specifically, when we talk about first of our strength, when I'm talking about it, this is what I'm meaning. I'm meaning serving God. This is the do part of all of this first. Serving God. The, the money that Bo touched on was connected to our resources. The time that I touched on is connected to our relationship with God. And then the strength that we're touching on today is connecting to serving. Serving. How do we serve God um, to the best of our ability? We're talking, the main thought today is this. And, and you really, I really want you to, to hear this. And we're going to hit a passage of scripture that I think has been um, misinterpreted quite a bit. And uh, you guys can give me all your um, hate mail afterwards when I totally debunk a scripture that you've uh, probably memorized. But here's the thought. Serving God is always connected to serving people. But serving people is not always connected to serving God. I'm going to say that again. And and some of you like to write things down. So I'll keep the, the slide up there. Serving God is always connected to serving people. But serving people is not always connected to serving God. As we're talking about the first of our strength in serving God, it's really important for us to delineate this. Here's a famous few verses that millions of dollars have been raised for missions and charitable organizations and churches based on this foundation. I want to share it, and I want us to talk about it for a few minutes. Matthew 25, if you've heard of of any of this, you know, um, maybe just uh, raise your hand at me as as we're reading. Have you heard this? For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. Is it becoming familiar? I was a stranger, and you welcomed me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. Jesus is talking here. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you in, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Have anybody heard that by raising of hand? Have you read that before? Just good, good, good. A lot of us in here, and if you haven't, then then you get to learn it the right way today. So uh, we we need to understand this to understand. And I, I gave my notes to to Leslie to put together a PowerPoint, and she's like she's like, wow, you have like four pages before you ever get to your three three points. And well, um, hang with me. So. So Matthew 25 is interesting because you, you have uh, Matthew 24 that comes before it. Matthew 24 and 25 are um, what we call end times passages. So when you want to look at um, end times or a big Bible school word is eschat- eschatology. It's, it's the study of the end times. And a lot of anybody love just the, the thought and the study of end times. You're like, uh, you know, right over here we got one on that side. Anybody one over here? It's the, the anybody like read the book of Revelation for fun? 
Yeah, you couple right here. We got, we got, the good thing is at the end of Revelation, it says that those that read the, uh, the book of Revelation are blessed. They get a blessing. So if you ever want to just read the book of Revelation, good, good stuff. So, uh, or, or you like Daniel or you like Ezekiel or some of these like end times, like, you know, you're just going to chew on that stuff. So Matthew 24 and 25 are end times passages. And the cool thing about it, the reason why I like them is because they're from Jesus' perspective. How many want to learn about the end times from Jesus himself? These are like the red letters in the Bible. And so he talks about this. And so uh, uh, there's all, now how, I, I'm not going to like, you know, uh, I'm not going to show my cards as far as like what I believe about the end times because, um, well, I'd like to preach to all of you today and we might get, have people stand up and, and what. No, I'm just joking. But, it, but because there's just so many, and, and that's just not what this is about and it would take forever. Um, but I want to, but I, I want to, I got to hit on this for a minute because this story that Jesus is talking about, when the least of these, my brothers, and, and if you've done it unto one, you've done it to me, it, this is right in the middle of an, of an end times thought. In fact, this passage, as Jesus is talking, he's sharing about himself as the king. And this is happening right at the end of, if you've ever heard about, a seven-year period called the Great Tribulation. The Great Tribulation. The Great Tribulation is seven years where you have three and a half years of really hard times and three and a half years of really, really, really hard times. And, and so at the end of that seven years, Jesus comes back, hallelujah, the trumpet's blown and Jesus is back and he comes back as king a, a, an actual man an actual king to physically rule on this earth and in that time as he comes into Jerusalem and sits on his throne in the new Jerusalem he is talking to people and so let me just uh, let me read some of this to you and by the way this isn't the great white throne judgment which happens at the end of the millennial the millennial reign and and if you're like what are you talking about that's because you never read the book of revelation right you're not one of those five that read the book of revelation there's a millennial reign we're not going to get into all of that but the great white throne judgment happens at the end of that this is a different this is called the judgment of the nations is what this is talking about and we're going to we're going to look at it so Matthew 25 let me let's read the few verses before this passage that we just read Starting in verse 31, when the Son of Man comes in his glory, you can look up there or in your own Bible, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. We just talked about that. Now imagine this. He is coming in. He is king. Angels are with him. This is an incredible moment. He's on his throne. The angels are surrounding him. It's a glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations. And when we think of nations, um, this isn't just like presidents and governments. These are like the people of nations. These are every, every people group is represented right here. And remember, this is after the great tribulation. And he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates sheep from goats. And he will place the sheep on his right and the goats on his left in verse 33. And what do you think the sheep represent? His followers, the believers. Who do the goats represent? Not them. All right, good. You guys are, you guys are following. All right. You guys would be great in Bible college. Verse 34. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of of the world. And so he's telling his sheep that they're going to inherit this kingdom prepared for them. And then he goes into our famous, For I was hungry and you gave me food, right? 
And I was thirsty and, and I was naked and you clothed me. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. All of these things where I was in prison and you visited me. Remember, we just read all of that. And he says, truly, I say, say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me in verse 40. And then he'll say to those on his left, okay? And remember, these are the goats. These are the, the, other, the other crowd, the goats. Depart from me, you cursed, into eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. That's a, that's a big deal. It's a huge deal. And the cool thing to recognize right here is that hell was prepared for who? The devil and his angels. Hell wasn't prepared for us. Hell was never designed for you and me. However, if you don't know Jesus, you'll end up spending eternity in a place that was never designed for you. That's a big thing to to understand. That was verse 41. So verse 42. So he's telling them now why they're going to end up in eternity away from him in a place that was designed for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Uh, Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they will answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them saying, truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Uh, This is a dramatic, epic ending of the great tribulation and Jesus on his throne. But this isn't like a warm, fuzzy, like Mother Teresa saying, um, every little person is Jesus with skin on, right? Can we agree at least on that right now? And what you have to, you have to understand a few of these things as we head into this. First of all, there's three major interpretations of this passage. Um, Who are the least of these, my brothers? You got to understand this. Because if you don't understand who the least of these my brothers are, then you get, on to get into weird theology and weird land, okay? Who are the least of these my brothers? There's three schools of thought, and as I researched, I researched many places and all kinds of, you know, original language and all of this stuff, there was a, there was a guy that wrote an article that really helped me in Christianity Today, called, his name was Andy Horvath, and, uh, and so the three schools of thought are this. First, there's some people that believe the least of these, my brothers, are, are the Jews, or even, even more specifically, Israel. And they'll, they'll believe that. And, and so, the, so Jesus saying, these are, the least of these, my brothers, basically what, what they would interpret this, this whole passage as is the, after the, the Great Tribulation, those who treated the Jews well or treated Israel well during the Great Tribulation, then they're standing before Jesus and, and now he's uh, separating the sheep and the goats. The nations would represent all the Gentiles in the world. And so that's one, it was one thought. The, the problem with that is that the, the Bible never specifically uh, talks about Jesus in referring to the Jews as his brothers. Now, how many know Jesus was a Jew? For sure. And so it's not a far stretch to, to, think, to think that. But the other, the bigger issue is this, is that um, there's no place in the salvation message 
Pauline epistles, the Apostle Paul wrote the Pauline epistles. There's no place in there or in Jesus' gospel where there's a requisite to treat the Jews well in order to go to heaven. Now, how many know that it's good to treat the Jews well? How many know that it's good to pray for Israel and all of those things? We're just talking about Matthew 25. What does this mean right here? So that was one school of thought. The other school of thought is the most famous school of thought that the, you know, the least of these, my brothers, are the poor and needy and disenfranchised. And so, again, it doesn't really answer the question, um, who are, are, are my brothers? Now, it, you, could, you could say that, that he's saying, well, everybody on earth is, is his brother or his sister. Um, but really, when you boil it down, who are Jesus' brothers and who are Jesus' sisters? Well, the, the family of God. As, we're, as you read about the church and, and, and the disciples and all those things. And so, uh, but the other thing, the bigger issue with it being the needy and the disenfranchised and the marginalized, you want to know the bigger issue with that? Is that then it would, then it would say that, that if, you minister, if anybody ministers to anybody on the earth, it's connected to salvation. It means that, it means that these people here, the way they got to heaven was because they did good works. Anybody know that that's, that that's wrong? How many know how you get to heaven? Believing in Jesus through faith. It, what, not by works, lest anyone should, should boast. And so, uh, so that's a, that's a, it's a big deal. Where a lot of churches and organizations have gone off into la-la land because they've started to say that, wait a minute, um, anybody can go to heaven because as long as you do more good than bad, could you see how they could come up with that, with this, with this passage? As long as you do more good than bad, you're going to stand before the throne of Jesus someday, and he's going to separate the goats from the sheep, and the sheep are the ones that have done more good than bad. You could, you could get that from this passage if you, don't, if you don't study the word and understand. Now, good Bible-believing people have taken this passage and, um, and spun it in a really positive way. And, and I don't mind it if you do. But they, they would say that this is, um, this is descriptive instead of prescriptive. Well, what do you mean by that? Meaning that, that this passage is describing the type of person who's a believer, but it's not saying that, that good works get you to heaven. That, that, that if, you, if, you, if you minister to the poor, it's coming out of a place of salvation and faith in Jesus. If you, if you clothe the naked, it's coming out of that place and, and all this. And I don't have a problem if you believe that. It's just, as I interpret this and as I read this, I'm thinking, man, it's still a dangerous place because there's some people that are going to read this at face value and be like, oh, that means that uh, as long as I do good, I'm going to heaven. So there's a third, pl- a third uh, thought here. And, um, and I believe with this third thought is that it makes a little bit more sense. And you guys can, um, can chew on the meat, spit out the, bo- uh, spit out the bones, and decide what you want to do. Um, so the question is, if not the Jews or the poor, who are the least of these? Who are the least of these in this passage, Matthew 25? And so when you study the, the surrounding text, the rest of the book of Matthew, I think things start to make better sense. Uh, you start asking, well, who, who else in Matthew would be described as the least of these. Who else was naked and poor or in prison or hungry and needed? And you don't have to look too far to find Matthew chapter 10. 
And in Matthew chapter 10, you see the description of the least of these. You see the, the, uh, the apostles or, the, or Jesus' 12 disciples that are sent out to preach about the kingdom. You remember they're sent out two by two in Matthew chapter 10, and they're given authority to preach, and they go out and do miracles and all this type of stuff. And so there's incredible parallel between these two chapters, Matthew 10 and Matthew 25. Uh, we go to Matthew 10 verse 9. And Jesus is talking to them, and he's saying, acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, no bag for your journey, or two tunics or sandals or a staff, for the laborer deserves his food. He's sending them out with basically just the clothes on their back, with nothing else. And whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it, and stay there till you depart. As you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it and all of this. And uh, I love in verse 14, and if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or that town. He, this is his instructions to his disciples. And so you start to see, I don't think you have to look too far, you start to see as these 12 disciples or apostles, they were described as hungry, thirsty, no extra clothing, they didn't have home. They were strangers to these people as they were going out on this journey. As you move farther in chapter 10, you see, like, starting in verse 17, Jesus talking again. He says, Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. In other words, be arrested. And you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. I don't think you have to interpret too far to say that they're probably thrown into prison here. And at the end of Matthew chapter 10, a really interesting phrase that compares to Matthew 25. And, and hang with me because this is super important. Starting in verse 40, whoever receives you receives me. This is in chapter 10. And whoever receives me receives him who sent me. The one who receives a prophet because he's a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person because he's a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. In verse 42, and whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. You see this language. In Matthew 10, it's, it's if they receive you, they've received me. Matthew 25, if they've done this unto to the least of these, they've done it unto me. You start to find, oh, wait a minute, Matthew, the same author, is describing some similar events here. And so, number three, the third thought about who could the least of these be is the least of these, my brothers, are the disciples. Or more generally, they're the followers of Jesus who carry his message. Jesus' brothers in the Gospel of Matthew, uh, any time, in, in fact, the specific original language that talked about Jesus' brothers and, um, all throughout Matthew, it's always referring to his disciples. Whenever he refers to his, his brothers, it's always his disciples. And then, and then in general, I don't think it's too far for us to say those of us who are his disciples. That if you're a follower of Jesus, you're a disciple. I'm a disciple. He's talking about his disciples there. He's talking about you and me. Those that carry the message. And so the least of these are Jesus' messengers. Then, then one's salvation is dependent upon his or her response to the proclamation of the gospel, not good works or social justice. And, and this is the difference. This is why, 
as I interpret this, I say that this, Jesus is talking about how we've received a messenger of the gospel. Have I, those that have been persecuted for his name, those that have carried the gospel into the world, that, that have been imprisoned, that have been uh, naked and needed clothes, that have been hungry, that have been sick and you visited them, that were in prison and, and you visited them. And he's talking about disciples, messengers of the gospel. And so the way that I receive that person, Jesus says, if you receive that person, you receive me. I'm submitting that as you receive that messenger of the gospel, you're also receiving the message that they carry. And then this whole thing comes to light here in Matthew 25. Oh, so the goats then are those that didn't receive the messenger or the message. Big deal. Big deal. However you want to interpret that chapter, by the way, you have to at least understand it in light of salvation and in light of the rest of the Bible. So what's the point? Why spend so much time, like Leslie said, four pages and you didn't even get to your points? Thanks a lot, by the way. Why spend so much time on that chapter? Because we come back to our main thought. Serving God is always connected to serving people, but serving people is not always connected to serving God. We have to get that, otherwise we start just looking like the rest of the world. So how do we serve God or in our language in this series, how do we give God the first of our strength? And I want to give you just a few words I think will be easy to remember. It's going to be our attitude. It's going to be our abilities. It's going to be our actions. I'm going to spend a few minutes here in attitude. I think it's one of the most important that shifts everything. Colossians chapter 3 Starting in verse 17, it says this, And whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. A few verses later in Colossians 3, verse 23, it says, And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. And so you see this here in Colossians 3. You see two times. It's and whatever you do, twice. And it's like bookends or, or two buns on a sandwich. In between these two verses, you'll read, if you, if you read further in your own time, that, that Jesus, or, or I'm sorry, the Apostle Paul is describing some, some different types of relationships in our life that we're constantly around. He talks about a marriage relationship. He talks about parenting your kids. How many know that we need some help with that sometimes? And, and then he talks about um, uh, really uh, servant master. I, I would compare it to workplace and employers and, and people in, in life that would have authority over us and things like that. So he talks about those three different types of relationships and he sandwiches it in. The first he says, do whatever you do, do it as if you're doing it to the Lord. And then whatever you do, do it as if you're doing it to the Lord in between all these relationships. It comes back to as I, I serve God, it's connected to serving people. But just because I serve people doesn't mean it's connected to serving God. And so, in other words, it doesn't matter as much what you are doing as long as your attitude says, I'm doing this for Jesus. Um, it was, uh, I had a smile on my face because a few weeks ago on a Wednesday night, we, um, and this, by the way, this isn't my plug for getting more nursery volunteers, although um, if you... If you feel so compelled in your heart after, the, after this message, we're going to have an altar call for nursery volunteers. 
But I, uh, but I, I had a smile on my face because, um, because our, our secretary, uh, Leslie, I mean, went through like the, our, our whole church directory and New Life's church directory and Grace's church directory and couldn't find anybody. And finally, like the, the servants of God that came to our rescue for, uh, for uh, our nursery on a Wednesday night was my friends Bill and Pam Houchin over here. Now, they would never, they would never want you to applaud them, but thank you. Thank you. But it was cool. But the thing is, you know why I like that? Because, uh, and, and not to put you on the spot, but um, is, is that like your spirit, is your spiritual gift like nursery? Well, well no. Well, no. But you know what? They, and I didn't ask them about this, but you know what they did? They, they did this as if they were serving the Lord. <laughs> right? And there's oftentimes there's things that we do in life that we just, because I love Jesus, because I'm part of the family, because of whatever, I, my attitude is as unto the Lord, even though don't ask me to do it again. <laughs> right? I may be working at this job in this career, volunteering at this church, married to this person, parenting these kids, constantly around these people. But this is for you, Jesus. Unto you, Jesus, because of you, Jesus. Glory be to God. The problem is we don't always view what we're doing as unto the Lord. Isn't that the truth? This is, this is where the rubber meets the road in serving God. In this thought of, of shifting our attitude, we don't always view that what we're doing right now in this moment as unto the Lord. And that's what gives us our bad attitudes. That's what, you know, that's when the, the boss, I want to just punch him or her and 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 the the kids I want to kick them down the street and and this thing that I'm doing you know fighting the crowds at Walmart or volunteering in the church nursery or or doing whatever I'm doing we don't view it as if we're doing it unto the Lord and this is when all of a sudden like what are you doing then what are you doing if it's not unto him who's it unto and fingers at myself too. I mean, some of you were thinking, my goodness, he's just trying to convict us. It's me too. It's all of us. Am I doing it unto Jesus? And we don't always view it that way. If serving people was always synonymous with serving God, then any agency or organization that's doing good for people must be serving God. Right? If we took that Matthew 25 at face value, then all the good that agencies do and and organizations do all over this world, they must be serving God. And that's ludicrous. Now, you have to be careful when you say this phrase, but shift happens when someone says, why are you laughing? What, did they spell it right? No, sure. When someone says, I'm not just doing a good deed, I'm not just helping this person, I'm doing this for God. By the way, it's good to see you, Becky. Yeah, it's been a while. We should catch up after church. I'm doing this for God. You get to choose right now. In your heart, you get to choose. Am I doing this for God or am I doing this for men? Am I doing this for myself? You get to choose. Who am I doing this for? And whatever you do, Paul was saying to the Colossians, do it in the name of the Lord and as unto the Lord, not to men. Um, If you're familiar with Michelangelo, 
he um, painted the Sistine Chapel. And actually, um, he never wanted to do this. He reluctantly went into this project and never wanted to paint the Sistine Chapel. Um, and it was originally supposed to be just uh, um, the disciples and the Last Supper and things like this. And it ended up being like something over 400 different uh, characters and all of these different stories. And I mean, you, you guys have probably heard a little bit about the Sistine Chapel or seen pictures. And one day, Michelangelo was painting in this dark corner. And, and somebody says, why are you taking so much time in this dark corner of the Sistine Chapel? And you know what Michelangelo's response was? He says, God will see. Well, God will see. You think that he may have been doing it unto the Lord? The, the, the story goes on. It took four years to paint the Sistine Chapel. And he, uh, because of the, the positions he had to be in to paint and all of this stuff, it actually permanently damaged his eyesight and his body. He was like, I think, 37 years old when he was done with the project. And people couldn't recognize him. He actually looked like an old man. But he was doing it unto the Lord. Whatever you do. Are there things in life that you're doing right now that you just need to shift your attitude so that now it becomes unto Jesus. That'll preach right there to all of us. Are there things that we're doing? All we have to do is just shift our attitude. This is part of how you start to give God the first of your strength. Because you start to look at everything you're doing in life differently. Lord, how do I give you the first of my strength? Maybe right now, maybe, maybe your career and your workplace starts to look differently because it's unto Jesus. Maybe parenting starts to look differently. Maybe marriage starts to look differently. Maybe all of these different relationships or, or, or things that you're involved in and volunteer things that you're doing, maybe it starts to look differently because all of a sudden you shift your thought, this is unto Jesus and not unto men. The second thing, The first was our attitude, and the second is our abilities. Because the next thing I want to do in serving God and giving Him the first of my strength is I want to look at my abilities. Um, you may find that you've shifted your attitude so that whatever you do is unto Jesus, but you may also find in that moment that there's a God-given abilities that you're just not using. And actually, I don't know if I'm going to go so far as saying it's a sin, but if God gave it, gave it to you to use and you're not using it, it's something. It's not good. And so just a challenge in all of our hearts. What has God given us? What ability? It may be that you're just, you're a prayer warrior and if you, you haven't prayed for people in like three years and you need to like start praying for people. It may be that you're a good writer and you just need to start writing encouraging notes to somebody. It may be that, I mean, whatever it might be, you're like, I don't have any gifts and abilities. Well, I don't know, fill in the blank. Yeah, you do. You do. There are gifts and abilities that God has given you, and some of us are just not using them. So here's a few questions that I ask myself, and maybe you could ask yourself in this area. Maybe there's things I'm not using. Here's, the, here's some questions. One, what are you good at? And just, just talk for, think for a minute. Lord, what am I good at? What kind of abilities do I have that I'm just not using? What am I good at? Here's, here's another one I like. What am I passionate about? Are there things that just in life that you just, and when I say passion, um, uh, I was talking to Bo and I said, so what are you passionate about? And he's like, you know, we're talking about aha moments. Like, when did it was an aha moment? And like, 
And, but so some people describe passion differently, right? I'm a little bit more expressive. I'm like, are you passionate? You're like, well, you know, you know, I'm just, I don't have the same personality as you, Jonathan. So I'm like, I, really, like what, what is, it, it, take maybe the word passion away. What, what in your heart is like, like comes to the top, to the surface that you're just like, you know what? Like this really means a lot to me. This type of, of outreach or these people or my family or, or this work or, or this type of, I love, I'm passionate about working with my hands. I, I like making things. I say passion. You think like, like you have to like change your personality, right? But man, maybe you're, maybe you're someone that just, you're really good at working with your hands and you could do it all day long and lose track of time. Maybe it's painting, or maybe it's, I mean, who knows? We could go through a whole list. But what, what are you good at? What are you passionate about? I, I like this. What comes naturally to you? That you don't even have to, like, like, you don't have to go take a class about underwater basket weaving because it just comes naturally to you. It could be spiritual, but it doesn't have to be. Number three. Ooh, we got fast on number three. And you guys are, you're all excited about that our attitude, our abilities, but number three, listen to this, our actions. And, and they all just kind of flow because you, you shift your attitude, you examine your abilities, and now what? Now you do. Now you do. You have to take action. You start asking God questions like this. So what's on your heart for me to do today? Instead of just, time to make the donuts. What's on your heart for me to do today, God? What, what would you like me to do? It, it almost sounds a little bit like Jesus, right? I only do what I see my father doing. I only say what I hear my father saying. It almost sounds a little bit like that, except, except this is Jonathan's paraphrase. I kind of like the way this one's worded. Just joking. Here's another question. Who do you want me to talk to? So now you're starting to be intentional. You're, you're taking action. There's these questions. Instead of just going through your day and letting it just be another day, Lord, who do you want me to talk to? Who do you want me to uh, invite to church? Myself and our staff and our, and our elders, we've been talking about this thing, and I, I think we're probably, including elders and things, we're probably, since November, up over 30 personal invites in our city just asking, hey, do you want to go to church? So do you want to go to church? Or who should I share the gospel with? So maybe you just simply say this. God, my desire is to serve you, to give you the first of my strength. How can I best do that? And then you just stop and wait and listen. James chapter 2. Gosh, and if you're going to talk about actions, you always have to go to the book of James, right? James chapter 2, starting in verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and so some of you thought that, that we were just against uh, good deeds when I said Matthew 25 isn't what you thought it was. Just go to James then, right? This is a good deal to clothe the, the naked and feed the hungry. I just don't know that Matthew 25... Let me say it this way. I don't think that means what you think that means. 
If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works, is what James says. Another place in James, he says, don't just be a hearer of the word, but what? Be a doer. Put some action to this faith, to, to what you've heard in the word. You've heard it in the word, now do it. He said it, now do it. I think there's three places practically that God would have all of us serve him at some level. Each person's expression will be different, but there's biblical precedent for all three of these. I think, number one, your natural family. I think as you shift your attitude and you start thinking, everything I do is unto the Lord. Everything I do, whatever I do, this is for Jesus. Then your natural family, those in your immediate, in your household, maybe you have extended family, maybe you have that, that distant, weird uncle that, that you haven't talked to in three years, including him, and at Mabel, both of them. Aunt Mabel with the bunions that, that God, needs to, God needs to remove those. I'm sorry, I just go off on all kinds of, I apologize. So your natural family, this is the first place of ministry. And this is a place where, where you can say, God, how do you want me to serve my family? Maybe you're the only one saved in all of your family, and he wants you to start loving them practically. Secondly, your spiritual family, your church. And you know what? I know. I'm the pastor. I'm supposed to say this. But, man, if you got the message last week and if you haven't listened to it, I think that this is um, from God, that he wants you to be part of a local church family and not just, like, bounce around, but to sow your life into the family of God. And you need to start asking the Lord, how can I serve you by serving others? Here's some questions just within your church family. This is some questions that you can ask. Uh, who are you meeting with? Maybe, maybe you don't have like all the time in the world to like volunteer for like, like three times a week. But maybe there's a person connected with your spiritual family that you just need to start meeting with and discipling. Or maybe you don't even have that much time. Maybe you just need to ask yourself, how can I help? Maybe I can't help weekly, but maybe I can help someplace. Maybe I could do something. How can I help? Some will have more time than others. Maybe it's like a, a once a month that I'm serving God by, by doing something in, in, with my spiritual family. Maybe it's like, like once a quarter. I don't know how it is. Everyone's got different margins and different things that are going on. But you can't neglect the family of God. You've got your natural family. You've got your spiritual family. Maybe you need to invite people over for the Super Bowl. That's a great idea. But do it unto the Lord. And then lastly, you serve your community. I've got your natural family, you've got your spiritual family, and then we've got the community. We've got those that, that haven't quite made it into the doors of the church. Maybe they never will. But we're, we've got our community. I don't think you have to look far in Scripture to realize that I've got a responsibility to those that are, that are outside the four walls of this church. 
Who are you connected to naturally in the community? Maybe you frequent the same coffee shop. Maybe you go to the, the same fitness center, or, you know, wh- whatever it is. Maybe it's your workplace. Uh, maybe it's hobbies. Maybe it's sports and clubs. Um, uh, even if you can't go many places, maybe, maybe you're, you're in a nursing home or you're injured or your health is keeping you from being able to go out much. Um, who, uh, you know, do you have in-home care, the, the nurses that you can minister to? Are there, are there people that work, that staff those, those homes that, that you could start just being kind to and, and things like this, right? Or what can you do? Or like I said before, maybe you just need to get the list of people you need to be praying for. There's no excuse to not do something. Your natural family, your spiritual family, and your community. Who can you pray for daily? So I hope that helps. The power of the first. First of our money, our resources, the first of our time, intimacy, and the family of God, the first of our strength, really looking at shifting my attitude towards, Lord, I'm doing this for you. I'm giving you the first. I'm giving you the best. And out of all of this, the why, man, it's really that, that what the week that we talked about, the why. It was because he's my priority, because he's my provider, because he's my passion. Um, Anna, when you come with your team and we're going to Close, close in worship. We'll just have, have one song here. But uh, maybe, this was, maybe this was your first day listening to this, this, uh, this series. and Maybe you've been here all four weeks. Uh, um, but regardless of, of, of where you've been at in this series, as we end today, could we just ask the Lord, Lord, how do you want me to respond? Lord, what do you want me to do? How can I make sure that you're my priority, you're my provider, you're my passion, how do I get things right in this area? Maybe he's showing you an area in your life right now. Let's stand this morning if you, or it still is morning. <laughs> I mean, after Matthew 25, some of you guys thought it was like dinner. Would you just ask the Lord right now? We just got a few minutes here. Would you just say, Lord, how do you want me to respond to this? Otherwise, it just becomes a, just a good sermon and a good day at church. But Lord, how do you want me to respond? That Galatians 5, we're a presence-based church, right? Lord, if I live by the Spirit, let me keep in step. Lord, what are you saying to me right now? Here, take 30 seconds, 45 seconds. See what he's asking you to do.